Welcome to the World Stage podcast. My name is Tamta Gelashvili. I work at the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs and the University of Oslo, and I'm happy to have two guests with me today. Donika Obakoin, professor at the School of Law and Government, Dublin City University, where he lectures on post-Soviet politics, unrecognized states and Irish politics, and Paul Kolstø, professor at the Department of Literature, Area Studies and European Languages at the University of Oslo, who works on Russia, Central Europe and the Balkans. Welcome, Donika and Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Today we will talk about Abkhazia, a de facto state in southern Caucasus and the eastern coast of the Black Sea. And we will focus on its efforts to secure recognition in the post-Soviet space and beyond, as well as its relationship with with its patron state, Russia. De facto states, or states that have failed to win international recognition, have long been understudied and overlooked in academic literature and on maps. However, they play a critical and contentious role in international politics. They have been involved in a large number of violent conflicts, resulting in their establishment, change of status, or elimination. It is therefore important to understand the politics of de facto states, which is the overarching aim of the research project Dynamics of de facto state patron client relations at the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs. But before we delve into Abkhazia's recognition efforts and its relationship with Russia, we should probably start with the basics. So for those who maybe do not know Abkhazian politics in detail, Tonika, can you say a few words about Abkhazia's relationship with the outside world? To what extent is it recognized as an independent state? Well, it's like many states gone through stages. So the first decade after it uh, won its uh, war of independence, as they see it from Georgia, um, they had a decade of isolation with no support, not even from Russia. Um, It was very difficult for Abkhazians to travel outside of Abkhazia, indeed, including to Russia. And then, you know, when Vladimir Putin comes to power in the early 2000s, you begin to see support for Abkhazia, tangible support, not least in, for example, issuing passports, Russian passports for Abkhazians so they can travel. And uh, and then in 2008, their relations with the outside world are transformed to a certain extent by the fact that Russia recognizes Abkhazia as an independent state and is followed by a very small number of allied states. And that that changes day-to-day life for, 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 for many Abkhazians, not always for the better. There's a joke that circulates in Abkhazia that uh, before 2008 they were independent, but now they have recognition because, of course, with Russia's closer relationship comes challenges as well as opportunities. Uh, that closer relationship, because it's to the exclusion of almost all other relationships, puts Abkhazians at the risk of being emasculated by Russia. And that's a tension that is is, is ongoing. So to put it in, in bold terms, Abkhazia is recognized by five UN member states now, uh, Russia, Nicaragua, Venezuela, uh, Nauru, and most recently Syria. There were two states uh, in the South Pacific, uh, Vanuatu and Tuvalu, who did recognize Abkhazia and then withdrew their recognition. That's the, the, we say, the quantifiable recognition. But of course, there are other forms of recognition as well. Perhaps we can go into that later. What are the reasons for this limited recognition? How are these decisions being, being made Well, we live in a very conservative world in international relations that doesn't allow for divorce. Um, There's no mechanism there for, uh, you know, two parties. If one party is dissatisfied with the relationship to simply say, I'm leaving, irrespective of whether there's a lot of domestic violence, we'll say, to continue the metaphor. So that wasn't always the case. Of course, throughout history, states were born and died. And usually the reason for their death was was murder. Um, They they died violently, not, not quietly in their beds. 
But um, but since 1945, with the establishment of the United Nations, we have a system internationally which more or less keeps states on life support when they get into danger, encourages states to continue to exist, and doesn't really create a mechanism for secession, for new states to be born. And that's why Abkhazia has found it very difficult. Indeed, all states that are in Abkhazia's position have found it difficult to get recognition because, you know, no existing state wants to encourage secessionism. They look at how it might affect their own uh, status as states. And it's very difficult for Abkhazia, therefore, to find allies, except in other regions of the world where they have similar problems and situations. So you find that Abkhazia has relationships with Transnistria, you know, with Nagorno-Karabakh, because they're in a similar situation. But they can't find recognized UN member states usually to recognize them, irrespective of the justice of their case, for example. So you mentioned states that have withdrawn their recognition. Can you maybe say a few words about why that happened? Yeah, these states uh, were in the South Pacific and they're veterans of the uh, recognition battles between China and Taiwan. And uh, usually it's a matter of uh, money or leverage. Uh, these countries are very small, Tuvalu and uh, Vanuatu. Tuvalu is a population of 10,000 people, Vanuatu 250,000. So these are small states where, you know, uh, 50 million euro goes a long way. So sometimes it's just simply a case if they were offered money or other inducements. Sometimes it's just trade arrangements. Um, But as I said, you know, this kind of battle between Russia and the West over Abkhazia has been replicated between China and Taiwan as well with these particular entities. So you might say they're promiscuous. These are states who offer recognition uh, for, for money. So you've mentioned Russia here, and we know that almost all de facto states that survive for some time, they have a powerful patron state, and for Abkhazia, it's Russia. Can you elaborate on how Russia has tried to help Abkhazia gain international recognition? Sure. I mean, they work in parallel with the the Abkhazians. Of course, the Abkhazians like for the sake of pride to present it as their own achievements. So they they have gone to Nicaragua and Venezuela, those countries which have recognized them. They have negotiated with the interlocutors there. They've signed agreements. But, you know, it's not as simple as that story that the Abkhaz present. I mean, to, to get the doors opened to them in those countries, they need Russia's influence. So essentially, they whereas they do sign the bilateral agreements, uh, Russia is the is the key uh, force, uh, the key actor, uh, and you only have to look at the countries from where they've gained recognition to understand the geopolitical dynamics. So Nicaragua and Venezuela have long histories of being antagonistic towards the United States, and and see Russia as a as a, as a counterbalance in global affairs. And some of that relationship goes back even to the Cold War with someone like Daniel Ortega uh, in in Nicaragua, and then with the South Pacific states, as I said, where money's involved. Again, Russia has the money and the resources to 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 induce those. And then with Syria, again, an obvious geopolitical relationship where Russia supported Syria during the war. So Russia helps Abkhazia gain recognition by the fact that it is, if not a global superpower, it has a large diplomatic network, uh, which the Abkhaz can then tap into. Uh, so they work to support the Abkhaz. Why they support the Abkhaz, of course, is something we could talk about for a long, long time. But the fact is, is that they do. And, and they're the only major supporter of Abkhazia in this respect. And that's why they're often given the title of patron. Maybe if we pick up on that last point about Russia being a longtime supporter of Abkhazia. So we've, uh, of course, Russia's patronage over Abkhazia is not limited to efforts to obtain recognition. So if we turn our attention to more the general relationship between Abkhazia and its patron, what does this relationship look like, Paul? And what kind of support does Russia provide? Well, Russian support is indispensable uh, and it comes primarily on two two levels uh, on 
security and, and military support on the one hand and uh, economic on the other. So uh, I think it's fair to say that if it hadn't been for Russian support, uh, Abhasia would have been wiped, wiped off the, the map of the world again, even though they were able to, to, to win the war of independence in, in the early 1990s. Uh, today, Georgia is a much stronger state, uh, and um, so, so they know that that uh, they need Russian military support, and they do have Russian military bases. They have uh, uh, both a, a navy base, a small one, and an airport, uh, air forces, but basic, uh, and something like five thousand or a little less uh, uh, Russian troops, and it, and Russians are also um, guarding the the border or the administrative boundary line with Georgia. Uh, but e economically, uh, also, uh, the, sustain, uh, the Russians sustain the Abhasian e economy to a very large degree. Uh, they uh, provide something like 60% um, of the export uh, from Abhasia goes to Russia and 80% of the import, so, and also something like 50% of the um, Abhasian state budget is um, subventions from from Russia, but just as important is that well, the the uh, Abhasians do have their own economy uh, or um, sources of income, but that's pr primarily tourism. They what well, used to be a major um, a tourist resort in the Soviet area, and it still is. But the ninety percent or something like that of the uh, tourists come from Russia. Uh, so, so on all these levels, uh, uh, the economy is sort of, uh, they need the Russians. Mm, so considering these military, economic and diplomatic also ties between the patron and the client, we often assume that de facto states are just pawns in their patron's power play. But in what the de facto project is trying to do at uh, NUPI is to challenge this assumption and look at what room de facto states have for independent agency. So if we turn to Abkhazia's own efforts now, can you say a few words, Donika, about how Abkhazia itself tries to gain recognition in post-Soviet space and also perhaps beyond the post-Soviet space? Well, it, it, it tries, like any aspiring state, to enhance its relationships, to broaden its its base, but the obstacles are, are huge. I mean, this is a nation-building project, it's a state-building project, it's one that many successful UN member states have gone through at some stages of their existence. My own native Ireland, for example, was three years uh, unrecognized. It was going around the world trying to solicit support. It was establishing representative offices, which nobody would meet. Uh, we So we know what the story is like, but that was a very different world at the end of World War One. Empires were collapsing. The situation was very fluid. Um, as you're aware, I mean, like there's been a number of waves of, you might say, new states emerging, you know, and they usually coincide with geopolitical uh, large events like the collapse of the Soviet Union or the end of World War II. Um, you know, happening in isolation is very, very rare. And that's why Abkhazia had very much as an uphill battle. Um, it's it's much more, to be honest, the political elite, and I've spent a lot of time in Abkhazia and I've interviewed most of the political elite over the years, they're much more in a, uh, interested in establishing domestic legitimacy. And and that's why, you know, to, to an extent, I often encountered a certain cynicism about international relations, that it's all, it's not based on merit or justice, but um, they, 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 they have a very lively civil society a very fractious indeed political uh, elite. It's very hard for parliamentarians to get re-elected, for example. So uh, 
I have to confess that even though as scholars often, geopolitics often catches our attention when we think of Abkhazia, and it is often seen, yes, as a pawn in international affairs. When you're in Abkhazia, that all seems quite distant and it's very much localized. It is a small nation, a small people and a small uh, state and politics is very local. So then there's some room for maneuver when it comes to ties with outside world, because as you mentioned, one of the factors was the lively civil society and the internal politics that play a huge role. But there seems to be a certain tension between relying on the patron state and then reaching out to some potential partners. So if you could say maybe a bit more about this tension, Paul, do we see it in other areas as well, other than diplomatic mm, sphere? Yes, we do. Well, Russia has... Uh, well. Th- th- uh, there are four de facto states, as we call them, in the post-Soviet space, uh, and uh, three of them are have uh, Russia as their patron: the South Ossetia, Abkhazia, and Transnistria in Moldova. And their relationship to the patron uh, is uh, very different. In in South Ossetia, they would love to be gobbled up uh, by Russia and to be, become a, 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 a subject of the Federation of the Russian Federation. Uh, that's not the situation in Abkhazia. Uh, they in, in jealously guard the, their independence, uh, and they feel uh, fear that that the Russians sh- should try to to in, uh, an- annex them in, in some way or another, directly or indirectly. Uh, so, and uh, they are, uh, for instance, they have nego- uh, had ne- parallel negotiations uh, together with South Ossetia for. Uh, uh, new uh, treaties uh, of collaboration uh, and they balked when, when they saw the draft coming from Russia and they were able to ne- renegotiate it to, on their terms to, to, to a large degree. So th- they are uh, really, they wanted to become an independent state and, and not uh, uh, to be, well, if they had to, to choose between being um, annexed to Russia and to remain indefinitely as a de facto state, they would prefer the latter. Hmm. So maybe this is a question to both. How can we explain these examples of Abkhazia defying or opposing the wishes of this patron? How is this made possible? Uh, well, uh, one, one, first I will guess I will ask um, try to answer why, uh, not first why and then how. Uh, and uh, I think it's um, uh, to a large degree um, a legacy of history that they in the mid uh, and late um, 19th century, uh, they were yeah, first uh, um, uh, occupied or, or annexed by, by the, the um, uh, Russian uh, Tsarist Empire, uh, and they fought against that. Uh, and well, uh, since they did that, uh, ha- almost half of the population was um, exiled uh, to the Ottoman Empire today, Anatolia in, in, um, in Turkey. Um, that was mostly the, the Muslim part of the uh, Abhasian um, population, and, and those who were um, Orthodox Christian, uh, they remained. Uh, but, but even though, the, uh, of course, the Orthodox Abhas are culturally, you can say, closer to, to Russians, they still have these um, bad memories uh, um, going back into history. So, and why are they able to... to uh, to keep uh, this distance or, or to, to fight back when the Russians are trying to dominate them. Uh, I think paradoxically, part of the reason is the fact that they are recognized by um, Russia. Uh, how can we, how can, how can I say that? 
because it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, for uh, Russia to do, to, to do as uh, Vanuatu and the others. And, and retract the, the recognition that it would be an enormous loss of uh, face. Uh, so, so they are sort of in... Um, um, uh, they are tied together in, in uh, and uh, Russia uh, cannot uh, let them down, even if they act ungratefully. Just on that, it, 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 very briefly, I mean, it's not because we, we often hear that Russia is using Abkhazia for its own ends. We should also consider that Abkhazia is using Russia. I mean, like they've managed to engage Russia uh, as a patron and and they've managed to secure, as, as Paul pointed out, large resources for Abkhazia, financial resources with very little prid quo quo. So that's an achievement on the Abkhazian point of view. But how long it can endure is is a big question, I think, that we're facing now because Russia's future is uncertain uh, because of the, the war in Ukraine. And if, if Russia falters, if Russia declines, if indeed Russia implodes, that would have huge implications for somewhere like Abkhazia and indeed not only Abkhazia because again of that strong asymmetrical relationship between Russia and Abkhazia. Yeah, that's very true. Well, of course, the um, relationship between Russia and Abkhazia is very asymmetrical. There is, it's, um, if the Abkhazians will say that uh, we, we are both countries, independent countries uh, and recognized, you at least you have recognized us, so we should be equal. Uh, but that's like saying that a mouse and an elephant are both animals, so they are equal. Uh, but on the other hand, you can also say that the opposite, uh, the, the relationship is asymmetrical in the sense that Abkhazians can have access to, to healthcare and, ed and educational facilities in, in Russia. Uh, and they know, um, it's not re re uh, reciprocated the other way. But I guess not so many Russians would like to to study or go to a hospital in, in Abhazia. Uh, but uh, what the Russians would want, that is to be able to buy uh, real estate in Abhazia. And they denied that. Uh, and that is one of the few things that really would and they're pushing hard to get it. And the uh, Abhasians have resisted that for for a decade or longer. I'm an Irish person. I've just come from Georgia. So let me bring parallels in with both. In Ireland, we have a big discussion now about uh, whether we will have a united Ireland, whether Northern Ireland would be somehow reintegrated into the national territory. We consider Northern Ireland to be part of Ireland. But we still haven't had a real conversation about what kind of compromises we would be willing to make to absorb a large amount of people who don't want to be part of our state and are different culturally from us. I've just come from Georgia, and of course, there is a huge appetite there rhetorically for a united Georgia that would include Abkhazia. But I detect a similar reticence to have those difficult conversations about what it would mean to have a people who have grown apart over these last 30 years. I mean, you go to Abkhazia now, with the exception of Gali, where ethnic Georgians live, but you go to Sukhumi, you don't hear Georgians spoken. People say, I can't imagine living living with Georgians. And they're not, they're not saying that just simply as a political point. They have never often met a Georgian. They have no interactions with Georgians. It seems a far, very foreign idea to live in in Georgia. So those kinds of kind of, I don't think that we've started the real thoughts about that yet. I mean, it seems that for a lot of people, the status quo seems to work most effectively because nobody's being maybe, maybe asked to make those fundamental compromises. And that's also a reality that few are willing to acknowledge, I think. So if we turn our attention as we near the end of the conversation, if we turn attention to the Russian end of this uh, status quo to 
To what extent does Russia accept these agency of uh, Russia, and how can we expl- of Abkhazia? Sorry, and how can we explain that? Well, uh, I guess I tried to allude to it in my previous intervention that that they, they um, the Abkhazians have some uh, leverage by the fact that that Russia has recognized them, uh, and uh, the Abkhazians are willing to bite the hand that feeds them, as I, I have once um, formulated it as. Uh, and uh, uh, and the um, well, it, it maybe the uh, Russians understand that this uh, this independence of the Abkhazians is much. Of course, it's it's a big issue for the Abkhazians. It's not a very big issue for Russia. So, so they let them get away with it. it. But it's it's not. Some say that Russia has uh, the benefit of having forward bases in, in Abkhazia. I don't really see that because it's not very forward, just just above, uh, across the border uh, from Russia. And they could just as well have uh, these uh, uh, troops uh, in in southern uh, Russia. So um, it's uh, man, many Russians, I guess, would say that they are just uh, altruistic. They are lending a helping hand to the Abkhazians. Uh, and that is the way Russia is acting in foreign policy, which I, I don't necessarily buy, uh, but they are sort of uh, locked into this relationship. Well, thank you, Paul and Donaka, for a very interesting uh, conversation. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. And for more episodes from the World Stage podcast, you can check out Nupi's profile on your preferred podcast app.